So, I don't know um, how many of you have ever caught a, uh, been caught committing a sin or committed a sin before that has made you ashamed and maybe you had a chance to confess it to someone else and feel the freedom and the victory of confessing the sin to someone else. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you held it in. Maybe you concealed it. Maybe you didn't tell anyone else. Um, I know in my own experience, in my own life, that there is one situation where I had to confess my sin to someone else and I wasn't free from my sin until I confessed it to someone else. I was a slave to it. And I'm going to get back to that story and I'm going to share with you what it was like for me to confess that sin and to be made free from it. And into this kind of topic, this subject of sin is, is where our text leads us today. Um, it's not the most pleasant thing to talk about. It's not, it's not the thing that I would necessarily pick if I was choosing what sermon I was going to preach to you because it doesn't sound the most happy. But we have to remember that God wants more for us than we could imagine for ourselves. He, he wants our holiness. So he talks about these severe and deep things even when we don't want to talk about them. And, and that's the reason that we as a church do expository preaching. And what that means is that we just walk through a verse of the Bible in a book, one verse after another verse and after another verse. And after a while, we notice that God brings stuff up to us that we wouldn't have brought up on our own. Chapters and verses we wouldn't have preached. Now we get to hear. And so by doing this, we get to hear the whole counsel of God. And tonight we get to hear about sin and wrath and judgment. And, and as I've worked through these things, as I've prayed through these things these past week, they've been good for my soul. These things are good for our souls. And I, and I want good for your soul, so I'm going to talk about the wrath of God. And I'm going to talk about my sin and your sin so that we can become the most holy people, the most happy people, because these are the truths that we need to understand. So as we take a step into the text and take a look at verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So point one, which is going to be verses one through six, is don't walk as a child of disobedience. Don't walk as a child of disobedience. And where Paul starts out is he's giving us a good example to follow. He says, this is the example I want you to follow. It is that of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't just follow this example like a textbook. Don't follow this example like a YouTube vi instruction video. It says, follow his example as beloved children. And when it comes to following Jesus, none of it makes sense unless you understand that we are his children and that we are becoming more and more to resemble him because we've been born again. And, and what that means is that there's now a spiritual resemblance between us and Jesus. So usually we think of resemblance as the features of our face kind of look like the features of our parents. And we can say, oh, look, look, there, there's that child that belongs to that parent. And with us, it should be we should have new hearts that are changed. New hearts that, that hate the things that Jesus hates and loves the things that Jesus loves so that we resemble him. And people say, oh, look, there's Jesus' son or daughter. I can recognize him because he resembles his father. 
That's the kind of spiritual resemblance. And, and, and the grace of that is that our, the old way of living, our old hearts were, were icky and sinful and dark. But this text says that now, now we've become light in the Lord. We've become beautiful like Jesus is beautiful. If you're concerned today, you think, I don't like myself. I don't like the things inside of me. You get to become beautiful like Jesus if you follow him. The book of Isaiah says we actually get to trade our ashes for beauty. Who here wants to do that? Who here wants to trade their ashes for beauty? And verse 2 keeps going on and tells us what it looks like to resemble Jesus. It says to walk in the way of love. And the way of love Walking in the way of love means that the, your whole lifestyle is different. Walking is a way of living in the Bible. You're on a journey to somewhere. Some of us to, to heaven and glory and joy. Some of us away from that. And what do you do to get to there? You walk. And so when it says walk in love, it's saying this should characterize your life on which you are either on a journey to God or a journey not to God. And beforehand, it says you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. You were, on a, you were walking a different way. And now because we're followers of Jesus, we get to walk in a new way. So what does it look like? So it looks like Jesus. And Paul answers how Jesus loved us. He says, he gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the example of love that we have is Jesus giving himself for us in our place as our substitute. He was tried, convicted unjustly, beaten, crucified. There wasn't anything that Jesus held back from us that we needed. If your soul's hungry today, Jesus is there to satisfy that need. He gave him whole, his whole self for us, his whole flesh, his whole soul. There isn't anything, any part of God that he held back. He gave all of that for us. And that complete sacrifice, that obedience to God, was a fragrant offering to God. It, it pleased him. It pleased God. And that's why we even get to be in a relationship with him at all. I can't please God. I will always fall short of pleasing God. Jesus pleased God in my place. So now I get to have a relationship with God. And then I get to sacrifice myself for others. You see, if you don't have Jesus... If you, if you haven't received him, what you're trying to do is cram things into your soul. What you're trying to do is make up for what you're missing. You can't really love other people if you haven't received Jesus. Because once you've received him, once he has met your deepest needs, now you're free to sacrifice yourself for other people. You're, you're a happy person, and you say, well, sacrificing, that doesn't sound very pleasant. It is because you, you have this joy of Jesus within you that allows you to free you from going around serving your own self to go and serve other people. So you say, well, what does it look like to walk in the way of love? It looks like serving and loving other people. It looks like being a sacrifice for other people. Yeah, maybe you'll have to die for other people, but it can also look like a lot of other things. Can you give up your preferences for other people? Can you give up your time for other people, your resources for other people? Can you give up your hobbies for other people? Man, if, I would just love it if people like, I don't think they do, but if people knew me as just a sacrificial person. Like, dude, Ross just sacrifices like, like Jesus. And that's, and that's the kind of example that we are called to walk in. Now, 
the text moves on to a description of what not to do. So it says, you know, walk like Jesus, sacrifice yourself for others, and now we have a heavy word, a heavy warning. And I just encourage you, pay attention to this word from God. This is good for your soul. It says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are not proper for God's holy people. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He didn't say, generally stay away from these things, but just sometimes do them. No, he says not even a hint. That means we are in search and destroy mode for these sins. We are looking in our lives to where sin has crept into our hearts where it is not welcome, and we are destroying it. Not even a hint, friends. This is the standard of holiness that Jesus has called us to. And I wonder, I was thinking about why, why these sins in specific does he mention? Like, think about all the different sins in the Bible. These are the ones that he chooses to say. Well, sexual immorality relates to how we treat sex, and impurity relates to how impurity relates to how we treat sex, and greed relates to how we treat money. So the, the Apostle Paul focuses on how we as people relate to sex and money. Quite frankly, two of the most tempting and dangerous things that cause so many Christians to stumble. And the reason why I think that he picked these things is because Jesus just, Paul just called us to be sacrifices for others, just like Jesus was. But whenever we mistreat sex, and whenever we misuse money, we make other people sacrifices for us. We do the opposite of what we're supposed to do. We turn people into objects for our own sensual pleasures instead of into people who we love and serve like Jesus loved and served us. It's impossible to walk in the way of love if your heart is having an affair with sexual things or with greed. And, and because Jesus wants us to be close to him and intimate to, with him, because he wants his beloved children to be in his presence and enjoying him, he says, put them to death. Not even a hint to them. Because even a hint to them, every little bit of it will pull you further away from him. Will put distance between you and between him. Because he loves holiness. He loves purity because he loves himself. And he's saying, I want this for you. I want you to have the holiness and purity I have. So look for it. Find it. Where is it? And push it away from yourself. Get it out of there. Not even a hint of these things at all. And then, after the apostle brings up sexual impurity and greed, he brings up speech. Man, this is starting to get a little convicting. Uh, this is convicting for me because I know there's times where people can hear my speech and say, is that dude even a pastor? Like, what, what did he just say? Is that dude even a Christian? What did he just say? And I, and I think the reason that he brings up speech is because, man, we can, we can kind of scrub our, like, whitewash our lives. If our hearts haven't been changed, but we know we can't do something, we can, like, say, okay, okay, I'm not going to do that really bad thing. I'm not, I'm not going to do this thing that everyone would know is, is sin, 
But at the end of the day, if we haven't really addressed the heart issue, if our hearts haven't become like Jesus' heart, then that same sexual immorality is going to come out in our mouths. Like, what, what kind of jokes do I tell? What, what kind of things do I talk about? You know, can we, it's just locker room talk, right? That's what we tell ourselves. It's just locker room talk. Or maybe, or maybe I, I, I can't ever be serious. Everything I say is a joke. I think that might be what he's talking about, is foolish joking. A friend brings up, hey, Ross, will you pray with me? And I just make a joke. Hey, Ross, I noticed this in your life, and I just laugh. Like, it can be so much easier to just be, be boisterous than it is to, be, to talk about holy things. And it's a sign of, of unholiness in our heart if we can't talk about the things that matter the most with our brothers and sisters. So, so he brings up our speech. He brings up our relationship to sex. He brings up our relationship to struggle with these things and greed. And then he brings up why. So like, why is this so serious? Like, why, why is this such an important thing? And the reason why is because the apostle gives us severe warnings about these sins. He gives us the severest warnings about these sins. Look at, look at the warning he gives. He says, For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Friends, what a dreadful warning. Like, have you taken that to heart? He says if these things characterize your life, if, if these sins define who you are, no matter what you say, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is scary. This is serious. This is something that I'm saying, Ross, hear these words. And I want everyone here to hear these words. One pastor put it this way. is really helpful for me. If Christ has not changed you, he has not saved you. If Christ has not changed you, he has not saved you. And, and you might be thinking, man, this is, not, this is not the gospel I'm used to hearing. Like, this is not, uh, not the gospel I'm used to hearing. And I want to put these things together, how the gospel of, of free grace comes together with changed lives. But first we have to hear this warning that if these sins characterize our living then we are not alive. We are dead. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. I want everyone in this room to have assurance. I want everyone in this room to be sealed with the Spirit of God and say, I am destined for heaven. But if sexual immorality and greed and impure speech characterizes your life, you are not sealed, and I am not sealed if those things are in my life. Part of the Spirit's sealing is the new person that he makes us. And so if we tolerate these things, if we act like they're not important, and if we live them out, then we are not sealed. Let us not have false assurance. I want us to have assurance, but let us not have false assurance and think that if sin is our master, that Christ is our Lord. 
And then he keeps going on and he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes upon the sins of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Oh, this is, so, this is a good warning from God. He doesn't want you to become a partaker with them. That's why he's saying these things to you today. And I wonder, have any of us been deceived with empty words? Have any of us thought, oh, my, my sin's not that serious? Have any of us thought, oh, G- Jesus loves to forgive. I can live however I want to. His, his blood and mercy is enough for me. I don't have to worry about living a holy life. Or maybe you said, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Or I don't commit the big sins. My sins are small enough that, that I should be okay. I should slip by. These are the empty words that we sometimes speak to ourselves. And this, this, this empty words that we hear, this, this, the toleration of sin among us, this is an age-old problem. This is an age-old problem for God's people. If you, if you remember back in the Old Testament, there was prophets. And, man, the prophets, the ones who were faithful and honest and proclaimed the truth, they usually got rejected or even killed. And the false prophets were the ones who said, hey, it's okay, do whatever you want. God loves you anyway. Those were the false prophets. And this is what Jeremiah 6.14, this is what God says to those false prophets. And I oftentimes wonder if, because we want to listen to our flesh and do what we want to do, that we allow ourselves to be false prophets to ourselves. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. I don't want any of us to be deceived into thinking that sin is not serious. Yet when we believe the false gospel of grace, that I can do whatever I please because Christ has died for me. That's cheap grace. That is not the true gospel. That is a false gospel that we have fallen prey to and we need to separate our hearts from it. We need to separate our minds from it and live in the new way that Jesus has called us to make. So the, the truth is not that real Christians never sin. That's not the truth I'm preaching to you today. And if you heard that, I'm sorry. I sin every day. The truth is that Christians sin less than they used to sin before they met Jesus. The truth is that our changed life is an evidence that we really know Jesus and that we're actually in a relationship with him and that we have the Holy Spirit in us. You see, I'm not asking anyone here to earn Jesus' love by cleaning up your life. That won't ever work. I'm just saying, as people who have met Jesus and know Jesus, to make sure you bear fruit in keeping with repentance to show that you've met him. Man, if I just live in the old way, I'll disqualify myself because I'll show I never met him. And so the question is, not do I never sin, but do I make war on my sin? Is your life one that's characterized in making war on 
sin? Or am I comfortable with it? Is there a home for it in my heart? A place that I kind of, it's safe and secret, but it's still there. Or am I committed to rooting it out and repenting of it? So Paul mentions to them not to be deceived by empty words. For because of such things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. I find that when we talk about, or when I hear a lot of Christians talk and speak, that they don't talk so much about wrath. They don't talk so much about the wrath of God. And it's real. There is a judgment day that is coming where God will judge sin. And hell is real. And it is good for us to meditate on these things. It is good for us to be aware that there is a holy and fearsome and righteous God who will judge the world in justice. And I am a man who is a sinful wretch and all of us share the same nature. And none of us deserve his love and mercy. None of us deserve his forgiveness. It says he dwells in unapproachable light. And we dwell in darkness. And so every one of us deserves his fiery judgment. Every one of us, myself included, deserves to be separated from him forever. And, and we won't be if we trust in Christ. But we put ourselves in danger. We put ourselves in at risk when we don't treat our sin as seriously and when we act as if it doesn't matter and we can just keep going on living as if we've never met him. Here's just a quote I want you all to hear. I thought about not reading it today, but I want, I want us to have this view of, of God, this view of judgment that's consistent with the Bible. I want us to think about judgment like God thinks about judgment. And it's not an easy thing. This is not an easy thing to understand. But when the scriptures warn us about the wrath of God, the Apostle Paul does not want us to misunderstand what this is talking about. This is talking about judgment. And the quote says, In hell, the torment of burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or for a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which souls will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they first begun, and they will never ever be delivered from that place. I don't want any of us to experience that at all. So then you ask, well, how can, how can a God of love say these things? Like, how, like, Jesus is love. How can he say these things to us? How can a God... Who, who, who did so much to get us back, warn us so severely? Like, how is that consistent with him? And the answer is, he warns us because he loves us. 
Like, he loves you so much that he wants you to know. Like, if you had a little child, and, and, and the child was, was curious about what the stove felt like when it was on, and he was reaching his little hand towards it, and he was about to just burn his little hand, wouldn't you say, stop, and, and, and even go over and, and pull his hand away from it? And this is what God's doing to you. He's saying, I'm being so explicit about hell. I'm being so serious about these warnings because, friend, I want you to live. I want you to live. So warnings don't feel like love, but that's, that's nothing further from the truth. They are love. And the text says, Christ gave himself for us. Christ gave himself for me. And, and the truth is I have to receive him. I have to in faith, take hold of him. And the fact is, is that oftentimes I will not do so if I'm not warned of what will happen if I don't. So many of us will miss out on eternal rewards, eternal pleasures, eternal joys if we're not first warned and become fearful and alarmed so that we instead take hold of Christ and take hold of all his benefits, take hold of all his love, take hold of all his grace. Man, it's the grace of God becomes so sweet when we think about the wrath of God. Like, I feel so, so bittersweet joy in my heart when I know what I'm saved from. And I trust in Jesus. I cling to him so much tighter when I know what he saved me from. And man, what if, what if our whole church was just clinging to Jesus like as tightly as possible at all times? And I think we will do that more when we understand what he has saved us from. So let's not be ashamed. Let us not be ashamed of wrath. Let us not be ashamed of the fact that our God is holy and shows wrath. Let's remind ourselves of it. Let's remind one another that we serve a holy God who punishes sin so that when we sweetly trust Jesus together, it's better, it's closer, and more important than ever. And no one, no one who we have the responsibility to warn goes unwarned. No one who we have the responsibility to share these things with does not have them not shared with them. And and I just want to share a story of myself is that I was for so many years addicted to and struggling with pornography. And it was a sin, a, a sin battle that I was, I was largely struggling with on my own. And, and I remember one day I was, you know, thinking about this sin and, and Romans 8, 12, and 13 came up in my mind, in my heart, or I was reading in the Bible and it says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I thought, Ross, like, you have, if you, if you keep doing this, you know, you're, you're, you're going to show yourself that you're actually a child of wrath. But, but you are a child of God. You do believe in the gospel. And so you're going to stop looking at this and you're going to live in obedience to Jesus, and you're going to go to heaven. And, and, that, and that realization that one or the other was true, and I knew that, I just knew that I believed in Jesus, helped break the power of sin that was enslaving me. And if I were to say to you today, 
oh, I never struggled with it again, or I never looked at it. That's not true. The point is that it changed the trajectory. There was a way I was walking, and then I was walking a new way. And the wrath and judgment of God is meant to make us walk a new way. And because Jesus is so safe, because Jesus is so loving, because Jesus is so welcoming, is how we can walk on that road and not constantly be overcome with our fears, not constantly just be overcome with, with this fear of eternity and fear of judgment is because Jesus is the safe place that we need. And so, I think so often we talk about the, um, the promises of God and neglect the warnings of God when they're actually both loving things for God to get us to himself. So the promises of God encourage us. The promises of God make us feel love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's a promise that encourages my soul. And I think of the promises of God like like a a road sign. A road sign, if you're driving on the road, it says this many miles to Minneapolis and it has a number. And that that kind of encourages, oh, I'm getting closer. Like, I'm getting closer. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stay encouraged on this journey. And then the, the warnings of God are actually meant to also keep us on that journey. The warnings of God are also meant to get us to God. They're also grace from God to keep us in the faith, keep us on the road of trusting and believing in Jesus until we make it safely home. And the warnings of God are like rumble strips on the road. Has anyone ever heard of a rumble strip before? It's that thing when you're driving and, you know, you just kind of doze off a little bit and you drift to the side of the road and (laughs) or you're drifting the other way and about to have a head-on collision and then and you come awake, right? And you immediately go back into your lane. And oftentimes in our Christian lives, we go to sleep. We stop acting like God is holy. We forget that God is holy. And he says, wake up! There's judgment if you don't change. There's judgment if you don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And it is the most loving thing for me because it woke me up. And I'm just wondering who needs to be woken up today. The main burden of the text today is, is wake up! And walk as a child of light. Who's sleeping right now? Who's, who's deceiving themselves with empty words? Who, who's allowing sin to have a safe haven in your heart? I want, the reason, the reason why I chose this main point and preached this text like I did is because I want every one of you in this room to be in heaven with me forever. I want you in heaven with me forever. And if I don't talk about sin, then I'm not acting like it. If I care about you, I'm going to warn you about your sin. And God, that's the point of this text, is that to get you to heaven, there are warnings against sin so that we will come awake and put it to death. Now, some of you, here today 
might, might not even be followers of Jesus yet. And what I said might have sound offensive. Maybe it sound scary. And you're thinking, well, what, what do I have to do? Like, what, what, what is this person proposing that I do? Because no one can earn it. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you just try to change your behavior, say, oh, I'm, I'm going to escape the wrath of God by changing my behavior, it's not going to work. Because our hearts don't change. And even if they did, we're still guilty of all the sin that we committed. And we need forgiveness. So what, what do I do? And the text says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord to us Christians. And the good news is that Jesus makes people who are darkness light. Amen? Jesus makes people who are darkness light. And I love that it doesn't say people who are in darkness light. Like, oh, I'm kind of in the darkness. I'm just kind of bad. No, it says people who are darkness light. People like me who were dead in sin and just not really, didn't care at all about other people, just cared about myself. No, he saved me and he can save you. And what it will feel like, what, what happens when you become light, what, what, what that will feel like is for the first time, you, you become worried about the state of your soul. You become concerned. Like, where, where am I going to spend eternity? Man, I, I, actually, I actually am guilty of, of, of sin. And then, and then as you become aware of those things, that is God working in your heart and you believe in him. You come to Jesus and he heals your wounds. He addresses your wounds that we were just ignoring before. And the, the grace of Jesus that he won for us when he died on the cross forgives us. And heals us. And, and friend, if you have any concern about those things, please come talk to me after the service. Or anyone else up here. Come talk with us. Okay, so let's talk about point two now. Point one was don't, don't live as a child of disobedience. And point two is walk as a child of light. Walk as a child of light. So how then... Should God's children, us, respond to this dire need to put sin to death? Like, what, what do we do? Okay, so we're, we're aware that it's serious. How do we respond? Paul says, um, as I just read, you were once darkness. Now you're children of the Lord. Live as children of light. The first thing to recognize is that you can't do anything on your own. That that you can't walk any of this path on your own. And the first thing that needs to happen is that God needs to be at work in your soul. And he is. If you're trusting in Jesus, God is at work in you. And the works of obedience that he's planned for you to do beforehand, he's going to accomplish through you by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so every demand God has placed upon us, repentance, faith, obedience, he meets those through his grace working through us. We never do it without his help. And so to live as a child of light means that you will make decisions not to sin. And you will make decisions to walk as righteousness. It will feel like you're making a decision. But at the end of the day, it's God's hand upholding you that's enabling you to make that decision. You're making that decision by the power of God working in you. 
And so I know that when I become more holy, that I don't get the credit. It's not me who's actually doing this. It's Jesus. And, and I know that when I go to sleep, like, how do I know I'm going to wake up and want to do the right thing tomorrow? How do I know that I'm not going to make a terrible mistake that shows that, that just these terrible mistakes that Paul is warning against? How do I know I'm, I'm not going to make that mistake? I'm not going to be a new person tomorrow who just does the terrible things that I know I'm not supposed to do. The answer is because God's upholding me. I'm light in the Lord. I am light in the Lord. He has made me light. You preach that to yourself when you feel tempted to sin. I am light in the Lord. God has made me light. I want all of you to feel that today who are in Christ that he has made you into a new person. So that's first. Before you walk, you were. Before you do, you were light. And then, and then the text goes on that a child of light should bear fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth and finds out what pleases the Lord. And, and I want to talk more about that. Um, just don't have time to get to it right now, please. Tune into the podcast. We'll, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss how you discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, and then in verse 11, um, we get another hard word, but a good word. Something for us to do together as a community to promote our holiness. Is that have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And that's, that's always our, my reaction, that's always our reaction to our sin, is to hide it, just like Adam and Eve did. As soon as we sin, we want to conceal it. We want to hide it. We don't want to tell other people. I mean, why would I want to make this other person uncomfortable? Why would I want to make myself uncomfortable? Why would I want to make them think of me like that? You know, it'd just be really easier just for me not to talk about this. It'd really be easier for me to conceal this. But I want to let you know that the only thing more dangerous than sin is secret sin. Secret sin that's kept in the darkness, not brought into the light where it's exposed, is the kind of sin that will slowly and gradually grow and develop, will not be addressed, and will eventually take control of you. Almost all of the pastors who fall from ministry, it doesn't happen in an instant. It's always secret sin that grows and it's kept a secret. And its power is there because it's hidden. From the community, it's hidden from everyone else. And it eventually brings people down and brings Christians down. Yes, you have, you have reason to be worried about your sin if you keep it a secret. You have reason for hope against any sin you're facing right now. Any sin, no matter how addicted to it you feel. No matter how powerful it feels. If you expose it, hope. There's hope to put it to death. No sin needs to live on. And this command isn't to individuals. It's to the community. It says expose, expose, expose the sins. And I really think this. I think that we act lovingly and graciously when we expose each other's sins. And... And I'll talk more also on the podcast about what it might look like to expose one another's sins. I, I don't think that means we're supposed to go, like, looking for sin in places we shouldn't be. Like, 
But I think there is a healthy way to expose the sins of other people in a community that encourages people to bring their, their wrongdoing into the light and makes the community a place that is safe for sinners but not for sin. So now we move on to the next verse. And here we get a rich promise. Here's some good news. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. That's a kind of difficult verse to understand. I, I remember pondering it. Like, what, what, is, what does this mean? And I think what this verse means is that God's way at which he puts sin to death is through exposing it. And then he kills it. So, so when, you, when you expose your sin, it, it becomes illuminated by the light. And once your brothers and sisters can see it, once you know that you're, you're saying, I'm repenting God, I'm, I'm putting this out in the open, I'm not keeping this a secret anymore, that's when he comes to heal. That's when his Holy Spirit works in you. That's when his Holy Spirit works through other people. And that sin can finally be put to death. And you can finally be free from it. And a lot of us just, we don't, we don't want to expose it. We, we don't want to let it out. And I just want you to be free. Like when I have a sin I know I'm supposed to confess, I feel this knot in my stomach. I feel this anchor. I feel this weight. And I don't want any of you to feel that. I want you to be free. And so I encourage you to expose your sin. <laughs> Tell your brothers and sisters about it. It's God's gracious way of healing you and making you whole. It's totally countercultural. You know, sin is kind of a more private thing. It's totally against our old flesh. It's totally against our old nature. It's quite frankly quite a bit against church culture. In churches, we're supposed to be these people who just are so well-respected. And we're supposed to be these people who everyone looks up to us and thinks, oh man, look at how great of a Christian that person is. But when I look at, like, David, he confessed his sin. And he was a holy man who was after the Lord's heart. And this is a step in holiness that I want us to take as a church. I want us to take the next step in holiness of being comfortable Maybe not even comfortable, but just being willing to let other people into our sin struggles. Because so many of us are never, ever, ever going to be free of the sin that we're struggling with until you let someone else in. You may never conquer the sin you're facing right now. You may never conquer the sin that you're facing until you expose it. And you can tell someone else in the church, I just encourage you, especially your DNA groups. Like we put you with just a couple other brothers and sisters, to have this kind of intimate community where it would be safe for you to say, hey, this is what I did. This is what I'm going through. This is what I need your prayers for. There was um, a pastor here a few years ago in the Twin Cities who was a super gifted preacher. Like, if you heard him, you'd be like, wow. Like, wow. And I remember hearing him. He was just so encouraged by his preaching. And shortly after I heard him, it came out that he was having multiple affairs with people in his church. And there was um, someone who had exposed his sin and brought it to the light. And you might think, man, that's, that's judgment on that pastor that his sin was exposed. But actually it was grace on the pastor that his sin was exposed. 
Because you see, as long as he could keep it a secret, he could save his ministry, but he couldn't save his soul. When his sin was exposed, when his sin came out in the open, now all of a sudden he was alerted to the danger he was in. All of a sudden, now he was able to repent in front of the community, in front of God, and say, I have sinned, God, and I need you. Yes, he lost his job. Yes, he's no longer the pastor at that church. Yes, he'll have trouble becoming a pastor again. But as far as I know right now, this man's walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift to be with Jesus and not a pastor than to be a pastor and go to hell. And so what, what grace and mercy it is that he received this grace. Now, I want us to live this text out. I want us to, to live this text out, to put our sin to death, and to, to walk in obedience. And I know that some of us in this room are alive in Christ. We are alive, like we're believing in him. But we're living like we're dead, aren't we? Like we're, we're, we're alive in Christ, but we've given ourselves over to secret and hidden sin, and we're living like we're still dead in the trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. And so with our mouths, we're saying, hey, look, Lord, I'm, I'm alive. Like, like I'm, I'm alive, I'm followed Jesus. But this is, this is what our body language is saying. It's like we're laying in a coffin or laying in bed saying, I'm alive, Jesus, but nothing's happening. Nothing's moving. And Jesus' invitation that says, wake up, come to life, is encouraging you to get up and start putting your sin to death and obeying him. And, and, and there's grace for you to do that because the, the book that we studied Ephesians says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And so you can do it by his grace. And the first step I'm just encouraging you to take is to, to bring a brother or sister into your sin struggle with you. Man, I am so, like, I'm encouraged right now. Like, I, I just preach so much of what, what could feel discouraging and, and crushing and burdensome. But I'm, I'm so encouraged about you. I really believe that we are going to enter a season of putting sin to death in this church and becoming holy like Jesus. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is in each one of you and that you will and can do it. Sometimes you just need to hear God's truth that you can do it by his strength and I believe you can. And so I just, just want to invite you guys to get out of your coffins. Get out of your, get out of your sleeping beds. Get, get, just stand up and move and, and, and go to war against your sin. So live, live, Live as children of light. Live in that way. Um, yeah, I just um, want us to dream together about what, what this could look like. What, what, what could all people's church look like if we truly understood the wrath of God and truly understood the Holy Spirit, and truly made war against our sin. First, we would be a place that's safe for sinners, but not for sin. That means when someone confesses their sin, when someone exposes who they are, we're not like, ooh, gross, oh man, I can't believe you're like that. No, it means we're hugging that person. 
means we show the vilest sinner the welcome of Jesus that we received when he received us. And yes, of course, of course we plead with the person, don't sin like this anymore. Put this to death. But it's always with an embrace of love. No more Pharisees. No more judgment. Just love and pleading to put sin to death. Man, I know people say this, this church is so weird the way they talk about sin, but they're even weirder in the way they love so well. And I just wanted the most shocking thing about us to be the way that we love people. Even, even people we would never expect to sin, even people who we think are too holy to fall into that, they confess that and we say, man, we're still for you. We still love you. Jesus is still for you. You are welcome here. Second, I want to be a church that seeks one another out. Man, we, I talked a little bit about exposing the sins of others. I think a lot of that comes down to, can we ask loving questions? Can we ask gentle questions and specific questions to draw each other's hearts out? I heard the story of a pastor once who repeatedly would tell his elders, hey, I'm struggling with impurity. Please pray for me. They say, okay, pastor, we'll pray for you. Went on for years. He never told them he was utterly addicted to pornography. And man, people are not just going to say, hey, this is the horrible sin I'm, gonna deal, I'm dealing with. They're going to say, they're going to leave the door open a little bit and it's up to us. Do we love this person enough to pursue what they just hinted at? Do I love this person enough to pursue what they just kind of confessed, but they haven't brought it into the light yet? And I know that if it comes into the light, God's going to heal them. And so I'm going to try to bring that into the light. I'm going to go after them. Tell me, what, what was that like? What exactly did you do? Not because not I want to judge you, but because I want to serve you. I want to pray for you. I want you to be free from this. Tell me more. Tell me more. Okay, okay, how long has this been going on? Those questions feel like prying questions, but they are life-saving questions. They're loving questions for the person who's stuck in sin because until they expose it, they're not going to be free from it and so many people will never expose it unless you're there for them to help them expose it and I just want us to be a church that does that. And third, we should set an example and create a culture by confessing ourselves. Yeah, how... How easy to wait for others to confess while we don't confess. And if we become lead confessors, if we set a culture of confessing, if we say, hey, I committed this sin and I did this thing and, 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 and would you please pray for me and forgive me? And that happens a lot. You're going to find other people saying, hey, I committed this sin. I, I need this to be brought into the light now. And so let us be a church that leads by example in this issue. Now, as I conclude, I just want to say that all that horrible wrath, all that terrible misery in hell that we spoke about, Jesus took every bit of that when he died on the cross. Every last bit of it. And if you're trusting in him today, if you're in him today, he's going to work in you so that you show that you know him and you won't experience a bit of it. It is all the Jesus, it's all about Jesus and all of his glory that none of us will experience the wrath that I deserve, that you deserve. And as he purifies the church, we'll have only him to thank as he works in and among us for his glory. And so, 
Man, what, what, what a joyful thing to think that we could all be forgiven by trusting in him. And that our church could become more and more like him day by day as we walk through this process, though it's difficult, though it will feel like it's uncomfortable. The beautiful thing is that as the church becomes more holy, it becomes more like Jesus and closer to Jesus, and Jesus becomes closer to us and we'll experience closer fellowship with him. And so at the end of the day, all the warnings, all the promises, all of God's purposes are all about Christ, all about Christ here among us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus for us. And for paying the price none of us could ever pay. That anyone who repents and believes could be saved. And please help anyone right now, Lord who's stuck in sin, to recognize the danger that they're in and run to Jesus to be saved. Help people to confess their sins to you and to one another and help us to be a place that's eager and ready to love and forgive God. Help us to show each other the love and forgiveness that Jesus showed us. And Lord, please let no one perish in this room. Let no one ignore the warning that they heard today. Let no one treat sin or God like it's nothing. Let no one treat eternity like it's short because it's very long. And may we all have healed hearts, healed in Christ. By him and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And now as Dale just plays the next song, I just encourage you to return to prayer and just... Just ask the Lord, what, what are you impressing on my heart from this message? What, what is it that you want for me or have for me? What is it that you want me to change? Just, just meet with him. He wants to meet with you. And always remember that if you feel fearful of his wrath, remember his son who took it all so that you might go to him at any time in any place and meet with him.